of Simchas today. Um, so it's it's very, very special to be able to share the following Simchas. Um, first, it seems that last week, during this very time, two of our classmates uh, took their children to the aisle. Uh, so we're announcing the engagement of Leah Bumgarten, daughter of Goldie Bumgarten, to Aaron Meir Chazanovich. And Rachel Kaplan's son, Srali, uh, is engaged to Shani Berger. And all of the Rebbe's brachas should be mekoyim b'miluam b'shleimusam for those couples. Orit Rutsky's granddaughter, Mushka Kagan, got married to Mendy Hershkop, Mazel Tov. Joni Tansky became a great-grandmother. Her daughter, Hannah Poulter, her granddaughter, Hannah Poulter Greenberg, had a baby girl, Mazel Tov. Um, also, Mrs. Ruth Bell, uh, one of our classmates, is uh, celebrating her birthday today. We wish her Arichas Yamim Vishanam Teves Lange Gebenshte Gesunte Yarn. Our class this morning is dedicated Le'ilu Nishmas Bluma Aleha Shalom, Bas Yibada Lechayim Tayyim Maruchim Yisrael Hakayin and Vivi Darren. And before we begin learning Le'ilu Nishmasa on her yard site, the fourth Lichtel, her sister, our classmate, Hani Backman, will say a few words about Blumi. Um, thank you, Rifki, and Mazel Tov to all the Mazel Tovs. Um, it is really, really <laughs> special to be able to um, to learn this. Sicha today, Le'ilinishmas Blumi. Blumi was a fiercely private person who provided very, very tiny windows um, into who she was. Um, so I thought I would read today's Hayyayim Yayim, which I feel like gives us a little bit of a window um, into who Blumi was and maybe talk a little bit more about her branching off of that. So I'm looking at the Hayyayim Yayim now for Chav Ches, the fourth list of Hanukkah. Hanag Eitzal Tamech Tadek, Ki Be'echad Milei Dei Hanukkah Hayyayim Ke'in Parbringen in Bnei Habayas. So one of the evenings of Hanukkah, the Tzemach Tzedek would hold a gathering, a farbringin with the members of his family. Um, gam including his daughters-in-law. Um, v'nikra latkes oven, so it was called a latkes evening. The same thing happened with the Alter Rebbe and the Mitor Rebbe. So the stories that they spoke about at these gatherings would be stories that were often repeated. Um, they had spoken about the previous year. Um, it would be repeated again. And the Rabbi Hashab would give out Hanukkah Gelt on the fourth or fifth night. So there's a few things in this Hayyim that jump out at me when thinking about Blumi, the first and kind of the most obvious that's just right there was the um, the mention of family um, and that Blumi was fiercely loyal um, to her family. It meant being with her family, connecting with her family just meant the world to her. And I just I really love how the Hayyim Yayim also like includes specifically of all the family members includes, you know, also the daughters in law. And it meant so much. Blumi was able to meet one of her sisters-in-law. Um, so that's just kind of on a, a, on a kind of basic level, just a very, very strong part of who Blumi was. 
Um, but just a little deeper, the other thing that jumps out at me is this focus on stories. Um, and I think about Bloomy, and it's hard to know. She was 16 years old when she passed away, so it's hard to know if it's a reflection of her age. But I feel like it, it was more than that. It was it was a personality thing that just shown very strong from a young age um, that she she had very little patience for when people would kind of just like wax poetic or philosophical or get like all carried away about like deep ideas and start explaining away phenomenon. She's, she wanted to cut straight to the point, like, this is how it has to be. This is what, this is what is, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. And a story, a lived experience, and this is how it happens. And this is who you could learn from um, meant so much more to her. And I, I just, I think of one certain, you know, instance, very often and I without you know keeping in mind the time I won't get into the specific details of it but it was it was very close to the end of her life and I at the time had written a long thesis about Trachtgut um, and it was connected to a um, an experience that my family had been going through that in an open way did not result in in revealed good but I wanted, you know, I in my personal statement about this thesis, I was explaining why I felt, you know, even 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 though the the uh, the outcome wasn't the one we were expecting, the process itself and the tracht and gut and what that did for us. And she took one look at it and literally said, like, don't give me that. Um, and while, yes, there is an importance in the process, but Blumi reminds me very much on staying super sharply focused on where we're going with this. And the Taif Hanirva has to be Taif Hanirva and it has to be right now. And I'm absolutely certain that she is demanding that. Um, all of the explanations and the philosophies is from the history, from the past, and now it has to be plain and simple good. And Be'ezus Hashem, it should be right now. So thank you for listening. Amen, amen, amen. And amen, thank you amen. so much for sharing those beautiful words and meaningful lessons. Thank you so much. And with that, um, we will go into the Sikha and keeping in mind that we're learning Lilu Nishmasa. Also, I see that Ruth Bell has hopped on and we want to wish her a happy birthday. Um, our Sikha um, is on Pasuk Zayin in Perek Mem Dalit, 44-7, a Parshas Miketz. We're learning from Chelek Tesvav in the uh, the third Sicha on Parshas Miketz. <clears throat> um, so the Pasuk reads, Vayimru, they said to him, they said to the messenger that Yosef had sent to pursue the brothers, why do you say such things, sir? Why do you um, accuse us of, of, of such an action? God forbid, it would be a disgrace for your servants to do such a thing. Now, see if Aleph. On this pasuk, Hevi Rashi Beis Perushim Chalila Rashi brings two explanations 
on the words, <clears throat> God forbid that we should do such a thing, or it would be a disgrace for your servants to do such a thing. And if you see it translated differently in different sources, it's because Rashi says two things. So let's look at Rashi Zayin. Chalila la'avadecha. What does this mean? Chulin hulanu. It would be profane. It would be, um, it would be mundane. It's not something we would do. Actually, l'shain ginai. It's an expression of disgrace. We would never get involved with this kind of action. That's one explanation. Vitargumai, <clears throat> and the targum explains chas laavadecha. Have pity on your servant. May the Holy One, the source of blessing, have pity on us from doing such a thing. And then Rashi ends, up, ends off with the Harbeyesh Bigimara. And this expression appears frequently in the Gemara, in the in the in the expression Chas Vishalom. Have pity on us that it should not happen, and then shalom, peace will be with us. Okay, so this is an expression of God forbid. This is definitely not something that's in our wheelhouse. We would never do such a thing. That's ridiculous. It's way beneath us. Now the Rebbe asks in the second paragraph, see if Aleph, vihine le'il beparshas vayera. But above in Parshas Vayera, Gabe Tainas Avram Lakadish Baruchu, in the in the complaint that Avram had to Hashem, Haaf Tisbetzadik in Russia. This is right before Sadaim, and Hashem lets him know that he's going to destroy the city, the cities, and um and and Avram retorts and he says, "Would you actually destroy a righteous person with an evil person?" And there too, Matsinu Gamkein Lashan Zuchalila Lachama says Kadavarze. Avram actually says to God, it's beneath you that you should do such a thing. Visham Perish Rashi Khalila Lacha Hulin Hulacha. This is this is not it's a pasnish. It's not for you. It's too mundane, it's too pedestrian, it's too profane. And and then Yoimru, they will say, They're going to say about you, this is your craft, this is your MO, this is the way you function. You unfairly and unjustly destroy the righteous with the evil. So the Rebbe says we have to understand based on these two different treatments of the same term, Khalila. We have we have two questions that we have to understand. Aleph, bepneima beparshes vayera shabah amura loshen chalila bepam harishayna. Why is it that in parshes vayera, when this particular term appears for the very first time in the Torah, and <clears throat> conventionally we understand that the very first time that a new term is introduced, that's where Rashi is going to give us the most comprehensive explanation because we don't know anything about this term yet. And yet, in this case, we find that histapek Rashi, Rashi um, is, is satisfied. All Rashi says is, it's mundane. 
It, it does not behoove you. It's too low of a level for you to operate this way. And yet in our Parsha, which is the second time this term occurs, and presumably the Ben Chamesh Lamikra already remembers what Rashi says, and yet we find, it wasn't enough for him not only to address it and to repeat what he said earlier, but he adds, he adds that this is a derogatory statement. It's a disgrace to attribute such behavior. Then, then it's for them, Ginai. Once you say that it's Hulin, it's mundane, it's pedestrian, it's already profane. It's already negative. It's already derogatory. Now, the Rebbe says, Inyan Hadarish Hasbara, Havale Larashi Lavarazes Bipam Harishena. If to say Hulin Hulacha is not enough, you have to add Lashon Gnai, that it's derogatory. It's not just mundane, which is still in the category of vanilla. <clears throat> it's mundane. It's, it's, it's benign. But then Rashi adds Lashon Gnai. It's a disgrace. It's derogatory. If that is the case, why didn't you tell us this in the first case, where this term first appears in Parshas Vayer in the Torah? Base the second question. Yisera mizu and even more. Not only does Rashi pile on and 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 continue and say this is a disgrace. He brings yet another layer of explanation. and he brings down what the Targum says. So why in Parshas Vayera is it enough for him to simply say three words? This is mundane behavior. It does not behoove you. And yet here, not only does he have to say but then he goes on to tell us what the Targum says. So those are the two questions that the Rebbe brings on this Rashi. Base. Bahabir Bazeh. An explanation is, okay, this, this gives you a clue that most of the Sikha is not like a conventional Rashi Sikha where the Rebbe asks six or eight or ten questions and then gives us the answers. Only a few of the Sikhim of the Sikha are taken up with the, let's just say, the mechanics of the Rashi. And, and most of it is a hayram. It's a mayhadika hayram here. Vabir bazer. The parshas vayera haloshen chalila amura klapea kaddish baruchu. The Rebbe says it's simple. Because the parshas vayera, we're talking about Hashem. She'etz lo yizbarach ein shayach klal inin shel chulen v'chol. When you're talking about Hashem, it's not shayach b'chalal, the whole inin of mundane, of pedestrian, of something that's not holy, that's the opposite of holiness. It's enough to say, really? You're going to do such a thing with this sense of wonder and question. The reason I have such a wonder, Avram says, is because it's chulin. And and what is the shaykhis between a Kaddish Baruch Hu and Chulin and Chol? And with this alone, 
There's there's no question. It's mufrach legamrei. It's 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 off the table. It's beyond question that the Abishter cannot, never mind would not, do something that falls in the category of chol. Avol beparshaseinu shanidun hu bebnei adam sheishlam esek bechulin. But in our parsha, we're talking about human beings, and human beings, of course, have interface with the mundane. So because here we're talking about human beings and human beings by definition have lots of interaction and interface with Hulin, with that which is mundane. So saying Hulin is not enough in order to obviate the possibility that they would do something like this, which is in this case to take the silver cup of Yasef. Because when you're a human being and you traffic in the pedestrian and the mundane, uh, yeah, you can slip up and, and actually take something that doesn't belong to you. Shachain, mahu hatema in b'nei adam asu What is extraordinary? What is scandalous? What is surprising about a human being doing something that, that that's chulen. Hey, <laughs> so much of our life is chulen. And therefore, and therefore here, Rashi does vociferously have to double down and say that chulen is already derogatory. It's something that's a disgrace. Chulen kan so the, the term chulin here is not limited with, it is not just focusing on something that is in general matter unholy. But chulin here comes to teach that this kind of behavior is disgusting. And therefore, it's completely out of the question that the brothers of Yosef would engage with this kind of behavior. Okay? So it's reprehensible. We get the message. Genaihu. But what about the second explanation? Why does Rashi still feel compelled to go further than just saying, this is not just unholy. It's not just that it's not holy but it's reprehensible. But this alone that we've presented so far to explain why Rashi differs and how he explains here from Parshas Vayera, this alone does not yet compute. When can you say that something that is chulen is a disgrace, is reprehensible? Only when you're talking about somebody who is of such stature that they have no shaykhs, they have no interface, they're not at all involved with with things that are mundane, that are pedestrian. And therefore, when this specific type of person, okay, who operates on this stellar level of spirituality, 
and has nothing to do with physicality. When this kind of person, when this person refers to something as then you know that for them, it's a disparaging term. Because vis-a-vis him, in relation to his life, because when something is not holy, when it's whole, it's already disgusting. And so when this kind of person called something chulin, it's ipso facto, it's automatically a lushen genai. It's disparaging. It's negative. It's, it's putting that down. The Rebbe says, on the contrary, in fact, when this kind of person called something chulin, he actually is rejecting whatever it is that you're discussing even more than if he would say in full-throated manner, this is disgusting. Because with this less clear. Sure, it's an oblique reference, because he's only calling it chulin. But when this person calls it chulin because of who this person is, he's 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 broadcasting that relative to his level and who he is, this is completely rejected by him. Because this is the kind of person for whom something that is chulin is no less disgusting than something that is overtly forbidden, like, like theft, like stealing. In other words, when somebody of spectacular stature says about something that is chulin, there's nothing benign about that. They're basically saying this is something that I have absolutely no shaykhs with. I have nothing to do with this. It's it's a total and completely repudiation and rejection. But in this case, in our story, But now, let's look at what's going on in our narrative. The task in front of the Shvatim is to obviate the claim, to negate the claim that they might have stolen this silver cup. The kasha leimar, and it's difficult to conjure, shebikshu al chulin hulan. How did they choose to completely reject the claim that they were thieves? By saying, oh, no, 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 no. Chulin hulanu. This is pedestrian kind of behavior, not for us. Why? The Rebbe says, It makes that which is being taught dependent, or toila means to hang on, right? To depend on that which is not taught. Meaning they're trying, it seems, to broadcast something in a clear manner, but they're referencing something that is not known to this person. So when you're trying to explain something to somebody, you have to reference the context. What do they know? What are they familiar with? 
And then they can infer from what you're saying what you want to say. Meaning, what they're trying to say is, of course we wouldn't steal. Because in general, we have nothing to do with silver cups. And in general, we have nothing to do with gashmias. And in general, we have nothing to do with chol. We're not interested. This is not our life. This is not our wheelhouse. This is not where we live. This does not take up space in our heart, in our mind. So it's laughable. It's it's beneath contemptible for you to accuse us of, 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 of thievery when we bechlal have no sheches with gashmias. Not only do you have to know when you're arguing with someone or you're trying to convince somebody what they know already, in other words, what's in their, what can they have as a point of reference to what you're saying in their past experience, but Beyond that, you have to know who you're talking to. Here, the Rebbe says, they're trying to convince a guy. Because Yosef sends one of his servants. So they're trying to convince a guy. And what kind of guy? A guy from Mitzrayim. That was known as Ervas Ha'aret. It's a morally decadent place. It's a, a morally decayed country. And you want to say that it's shittish etzlei divrei chulen enam shel genai, and you want to say that for this guy from Mitzrayim, it's it's simple and obvious that chulen is is something bad. I mean, why would he think that something that's whole, just because something that is not holy, that 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 it's a disgusting thing? Why would this be convincing to this person? That they say, it's not for us. It's not something that's holy, and therefore it's not something we have interest in. How would this person be able to understand what they're even saying? And for this very reason, so for this reason, it would have made so much more sense for them to <clears throat> obviate the claim that is being lodged against them, that they are thieves. <laughs> they shouldn't have used this oblique term, <laughs> that it's something that's whole, it's something that's not holy, and therefore we would never steal this. They should have used something much more clearly negative. <clears throat> meaning disparaging, disgraceful. They should have said, thievery is disgraceful to us. Not in this very subtle way, chalila, because it's a lushan chulin. It's something mundane. We don't, we don't traffic in that. The alkain, and therefore, because Rashi is bothered by the fact that it doesn't seem that I'll be shot this would have been a convincing argument to Yosef's messenger. Therefore, Hevi Rashi is perish hatargum. That's why Rashi brings a second explanation. What targum brings that chalila lavdecha perushay. That what does it mean when they said chalila lavdecha? This means chas lavdecha, chas mek eisakadish baruchu. Take pity on us. Hashem took pity on us. 
and prevents us from doing such a terrible action. God forbid that they should steal. May God take pity on us and prevent us from doing such a terrible thing. We know that God takes pity on us. God takes pity on us and will shield us from stumbling, even inadvertently, by mistake, in such a manner. Ella. But why is this the second explanation? Because we don't find anywhere else in Tanakh that the word Khalila is understood as taking pity. Therefore, so first of all, Rashi tells us that in the Gemara there are a lot of parallels to Khalila being understood in this way. But still, therefore, he has to bring it as the second explanation because it's further from Pshat. Sorry about that. And the first and the main explanation remains that this is something that is called, this is something that is not holy, and therefore it's not our neighborhood. We have nothing to do with it. Dalit. Seif Dalit. What is the what is the lesson for each one of us in Avaida Sashem? Rabbeinu Hazakim Mivar Bitaira Ar. The Altarab explains in Tara Ar. That each Jewish person has the bechines, the modalities, the characteristics of the avos, because we are all children, and that's how genetics works. But when it comes to the modalities, to the characteristics, <coughs> let's say of the of the, of the shvatim. Then you're going to have, you know, um, less, let's just say, conformity. And there are people who are going to have this bechina, people are going to have that bechina, but love dafka, not necessarily does every Jew have to have all the bechinas of the others. You're not going to find in all the Jews every single characteristic that distinguishes one Shevet from another. But then you have the overarching characteristics that are found in every one of the Shvatim because they are the children of the Avais. These must be inherent and endemic to every Jewish person. Okay, so you see this in families. Um, you could see that you have children, and 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 the children are different. They have different personalities, and they have different characteristics. But then 
there are certain characteristics that are present in all the children of the family. So Rebbe says, those that all the Shvatim had, that's something that has to be inherent to every Jew. And so we take this now into the narrative, the story that we're discussing. So when the Shvatim, as a unit, it wasn't coming from one of the brothers. It was coming from all of them that they said, they repudiated the possibility by saying, this is not shayach to us, Bechlal. We would, we would never come to steal because we're not interested in silver cups. We're not interested in chol. But it wasn't coming from one of them. It was coming from all of them. This means that this full-throated expression on the part of all of them, this means that this is a trait that is relevant to each one of us. Yehudi tzarech ladas, a Jew has to know, shekechol inyanai o mehusai hikadusha. A Jew has to know that everything about us, everything about our essence, everything about who we are, is kadusha. Vichulin gashmias him elamais nefradim. So a Jew and gashmias and chulin are two different universes, parallel universes. (inaudible) So engaging in Gashmias that doesn't have a holy component is a disgrace. Avurai, for him. It has to be completely out of the question. I, I I don't know, maybe I, okay. <laughs> uh, let's just say that um, <clears throat> what comes to mind is, is this famous uh, letter from a chassid that he writes back to the chassidim that were still in Russia about what a strange Medina America is, that people leave their house, they go to a place and they sit and they eat in front of a window where other people could see them with lights on them, <clears throat> all these different utensils. He's clearly describing a restaurant experience. Um, and he's saying it's like it's such a, a, a mudness, a, a strangeness, a, a ridiculous, I, ridiculous thing. And um, I guess I'm still very much from the old guard. I remember when Crown Heights only had one Milka restaurant, Spritzer's. Afterwards, it became quite the metropolis. We got a pizza shop, one pizza shop. And, and that was a place where, where it's a nishka past that you should be seen there. It's a nishka past. I mean, if you had to send in a kid to get pizza for the, for the families, one thing. But, but to sit down there and bachrim, chassidish men, it wasn't a thing. Anyway. And this feeling has to be not just hidden somewhere in the recesses of the heart. It has to be overt. It has to be on full display. That even the guy that Yosef sends down as a messenger to run after them, 
the other nations should recognize that this is not something that shayach to yid. It's chulin. Just like above, we said that the shvatim, for them it was it was obvious, it was simple. They believed that this was enough of a proof for even the non-Jewish, the Mitzri, that Yosef sent down to run after them. It was it, it was conclusive. <laughs> it was beyond compelling. Why would they steal a silver cup when they're not even interested in Bechlal? This means that means that even the non-Jew would recognize that for them, engaging with Hulin is as out of the question as actual theft. And it's true. The Torah itself commands us that six weeks we should work and we should do all of our work. That means that during the days of the week, the work days, we are mandated to be involved and engaged with Chulin. But But the Rebbe says, but you have to understand it correctly. The Kavana here, the intention is not that you should lower yourself to the level of Chulun. On the contrary, But on the contrary, you should elevate the Chulun to a level and a situation where the mundane itself becomes something that can be used for the holiest types of sacrifices. Taras HaKoytash. Shezenifal, and how do you accomplish this? Al Through the Avoida that everything that we do should be for the sake of heaven, and even a higher level, in all of your ways you should know him. Ad Shemekadish Esamamish, you so elevate and infuse the mundane with holiness that they become things that can be used for a lesser grade of korban, and then the higher grade, the higher level of the holiest types of sacrifices. <clears throat> hey, Indian Zeh, now, this idea may sound impossible. It may sound completely out of our reach, out of our grasp. And the Rebbe was talking to us, <laughs> pedestrian people. He wasn't talking to, you know, uh, the, the not, not even the Bainani of, of, of the Tanya L'cha'er. He, he was talking to strugglers. So, that the possibility of a Jew to reach this Madrega that at the same time that we are engaged with divrei chulin, with the permission of Torah, we should at the very same time, simultaneously, be removed from them completely. So much so that it should be something disgusting 
It should be disparaging. It should be a disgrace. It should be derogatory. How is this even possible? And the Rebbe says it's possible. The reason it's possible for us is because that's how it is for the Ebeshter. That even the godly light that has some type of a relationship with the world. It's never actually grasped by or captured in the world, the worlds. And so therefore, there's nothing of Hulan that is Shayatakarishbarhu. And once we understand this, it's understood We understand what is being emphasized and the repetition, the alliteration in the claim that Avram brought against God. Avram said, first, how can you do such a thing? And then, then he says again, it doesn't behoove you, the judge of the entire universe. The Rebbe explains what these two different expressions mean. Because seemingly, even if, God forbid, God forbid, you would express yourself and you would say that Hashem doesn't have the proper integrity, is not judging the world properly as the judge of the world, even so, it would be impossible to conjure that God should do such a thing to treat the righteous the same way as the wicked and to kill them both. So what is being added by Avram Avinu when he says, What is he adding? And we know that there's nothing redundant in the Torah. There's nothing extraneous. This is not a literary style. This is not poetry. What is going on here? But the Rebbe says, But by repeating it, Avram Avinu is underscoring, That even on the level where Hashem interfaces with the world, as it were, the aspect of godliness that reckons with the actions of the people in these lower strata. There they are judged. And it is from this level that reward and punishment is issued. Even on this level, there is no relationship between Hashem, Elokuz, and Chul. The Lachain. And because this is true of the Ebeshter, because each one of us is walking around with a part of Hashem, a veritable aspect of God. Therefore, therefore, even when engaged with we do not become enmeshed with them. 
And essentially, and on the deepest level, we remain removed. And this is true, so much so, that the pedestrian, the chol, the mundane, is something that we are repulsed by. It is disgusting. And what comes to my mind is the is the brilliant title of the brilliant book, Be Within, Stay Above. Hasid is constantly teaching us, yes, we have to be in the world, but we can't be of the world. Be within, stay above. The adavar chal is a davar miguna for a yid. And this is why this very understanding gives rise to the reason that a Jew has the power to transform to transform the mundane. That's why a Jew has the possibility to transform Chol into something that is so pure, a level of purity that is required for, for, for the carbonis, because essentially on our deepest level, we are higher than Cholin. Now this Haira is also connected with the central theme of our Parsha. In other words, the Rebbe teased this Haira out of two words in the Parsha, but now the Rebbe zooms out and he says, actually, this Haira, this Haira is related to the entire theme of the Parsha. What's this week's Parsha? Sheba medubar edas haketz, v'hasibais, this parsha and all the events related in this parsha are all about what will bring to Yaakov and his children going down to Mitzrayim, which leads, it segues into the Golos Mitzrayim, and Golos Mitzrayim is the source of all the other Goliaths. So what's the Hira? Yadua, it's known, Piskam Rabbeinu Nesienu, the very well-known teaching of our Chabayim. The Fintikab said this on a train platform before he was taken to Kastrama. Asherak Gufeseinu Nimsuru Begolus. Only our bodies have been transferred, have been given over, have been consigned to exile. Ubishibud Malchis and to subjugation to the other the monarchs. Vi'ilanish Mesenu, but our souls, Lai Nimsru Lagalus Lashibud Malchis. Our Nishamis never went into Golas, cannot go into Golas. We have no Shaykhis with Golas. Vilachain, Ain Hagolus Yuchela Lishlait al Adam Yisrael. So Golas can never reign over a Jewish person. Except Ella. The only time Golos can reign over us, can have a shlita over us, is when we allow Gashmias to become important in our lives.
But when a youth is not allowed, dash means to take up any space, to be important. But on the contrary, it's a situation where just to mention something mundane is disparaging. And how is this possible? And why is this? Because in this Jew, there is the overt and revealed manifestation of his neshama, and the neshama has no shaykhs to chulin. Azai ein legolos kol shlita alav. Then golos cannot have any reign, any um, um, power over him. And we might say that that is the inner reason, the, the deeper reason. That the final event that segues into Yaakov and his children coming down to Mitzrayim was this event that a silver cup was found in their sack. On their person, in their in their ownership. Because golos and subjugation cannot overpower a Jew unless there is, on some tiny, even subtle level a deficit in this feeling that something that is whole is gnai, is disgusting, is derogatory, has no shaykhs to them. The fact that they stumbled in that this silver cup was found on their person albeit without their foreknowledge of this. It's true. They didn't take it. It was put into their sacks. But the fact that it was found with them, this proves that there was some tiny, very subtle deficit, there was some deficit in the overall rejection that there should have been in their system against anything that's whole. Like the Alter Rebbe teaches in Tanya, that it's not plausible, it's not possible, it's not shayach that a yid should do an avera, even, even inadvertently, even by mistake, even b'shoikei. Now, I'm sure that some of you, like I, are puzzled or bothered by the implication of this. Like they were framed. <laughs> you know, this was not their doing. But maybe we can understand this with, with, the, with, the, with the idea of that the Abishra does not allow for anything that is sinful to happen to a tzaddik. A tzaddik is protected. I think there's a famous story with I think Rav Shmuel Munkis, who um, he 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 did something crazy with I think like a very expensive piece of meat, 
And later, they, uh, somebody came running to say that it was Trafe, and they asked him, why why did you do this? He said, as soon as he felt this overwhelming urge to eat it, he knew that he had to get rid of it. He had to make it something that nobody could eat. So the idea of that a holy person, that a tzaddik, is protected from Hashem, by Hashem, from any trespass. So this, that the silver goblet was found in their, in their possession, means that somehow they were not completely impervious to, 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 something, to some wrongful deed. The Rebbe says there was a deficit, there was a chesaron in their completely pushing away Gashmias, Chulun. Zayin. Uh, Rivki, Rivki, can I just ask, um, one can say, I, I know there are tzaddikim, and I'm, I'm, we're going on that level, but theft, they sold their brother. That's Lysigna, even the Ten Commandments. So there is some shaykhs. The interesting thing is that it was found in Binyamin's package, uh, bank, and he had nothing to do with that. So I'm not sure how that, to say that they had nothing to do, it only happened because of that. Never would have happened, right, if they hadn't sold him. So is there some connection? And the interesting thing is that it's found in Binyamin's, who has nothing to do with that theft of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kidnap. So, may, so maybe that's your answer, that, uh, that it has to be some other deficit and and the Rebbe, the Rebbe here is saying, I mean, the Rebbe is saying in the Sicha that he's saying, mm-hmm. It's a proof. Some tiny deficit, some subtle deficit. And they're completely repudiating, pushing away, rejecting the Indian of Okay, maybe this was the last, the last and, and, straw, and, the last, and, the last thing that needed to be corrected. And and look at footnote twenty-seven. The Rebbe doubles down and says that by the avos, and it seems that the Rebbe is including the shvatim here, that inyan of chait is the Indian of some kind of a deficit, a lack, a chesarin. And it's only on the level of chesarinius, it's only superficially. It's only in a very simple level that it seems to be an actual sin of veering away from Hashem's uh, desire. Seif Zayin. O keshem shechein hu b'negei l'adam Yisrael. Sheklolos inin ha-golos hu rak b'chesarinius, mitzad and just like what we just explained, what the Rebbe just explained to us, that Benigea to a Jew, the whole Indian of Golos is just a superficial overlay. It's only mitzat the Guf, but Benigea on a deeper level, mitzat the Neshama, Ayid, and Golos have no Shaykhs. They never met each other even. The same is true of Golos itself, of the entirety of the construct called Golos. Why? 
the whole intention of Hashem sending B'nai Yisrael into Golos, who ha'aliyah v'ha'geulah ha'bal acharehem. It's just a facade. Because the real reason for Golos is all about the elevation and all about the redemption that comes afterwards. V'nimtza. And so therefore, we understand and we find it's only on the superficial level that this is a descent, that it is an exile. But on the innermost level, on the intentionality level, it's an elevation. It's a redemption. And this is the innermost understanding of what Chazal taught. That immediately after the Chorban was born, the Redeemer of B'nai Yisrael, Hainu meaning, that with the beginning of Golos began the Geula. In other words, the Golos is part of the Geula. Because this is the whole intention of the Golos. And this is also the essence and the content of the Avoid of each Jew. Through this, that a Jew works and effectuates that her conduct, that in every aspect of the conduct should be recognized, the internal aspect of a Jew, the soul that is higher than Golos, so what is true in the microcosm reflects the truth of the macrocosm. So when a Yid acts in such a way that everything about their behavior is a reflection of their innermost being, the neshama that is higher than Golos, then basically it calls the bluff on the whole Indian of Golos. It puts into question the whole Golos. Golos becomes a gili of Geula. I mean, I, 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 probably other people have the same experience, but I know that on Simchas Torah, there were people that were looking at us as scans. As Chassidim, it was Pasha to us that we had to have, we had to go on with Simchas Torah, we had to have a kafas, we had to have singing and dancing. That to us was Pasha, but it was not Pasha at all to people from a different orientation. I'm talking about from people, but people that felt that it was a it was Achzarius. It it was it was really, really uncalled for and and not in keeping with what was going on. And and it was disrespectful to all those who had suffered and were suffering, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's being schooled in this idea that Golos is actually the, the beginning of the Geula. It's a necessary part of the Geula, but it's the Geula. And it's 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 a really hard thing even for people in Hasidus to, to hold 
and certainly for those who don't. Kafishan is bar kama v'kama pa'amim. As explained many times, Beperish Rashi alatari yeshna minyanim mufloim. In Rashi's Perush, there are all kinds of wondrous things. Mikol chalkeatara gam alderach haremes v'hasayit. There are all kinds of wondrous things, including the remes, that which is alluded to, and the soid, the secrets, chasidus. Matzinu gam remes al inin hagolos v'gula nal beperish Rashi besiyum parshasenu, and we find a remes. Concerning the Indian of Golas and Geula, this idea that the Golas itself is actually part of the Geula, we find it in Rashi's Perush at the end of our Parsha. And um, this is why I um, thought it would be a very good idea for everybody to have a Chumash in Rashi or Chayenu or Gvar Malchus or anything that works for them. So in Perak Mem Dalit, Pasuk Tez Zayin. 44, 16. <clears throat> Yehuda replied to Yosef, What can we possibly say to my Lord? What will we say? How can we speak? And what will, in which way will we, will we justify ourselves? In which way will we, will we vindicate ourselves? God has found fit to punish your servants' sins. We hereby consign ourselves to be slaves to you, our Lord. Both all of us and the person in whose sack will be found the goblet. And on the words, Okay. I can't be the only one who sees this kind of Rashi and just recoils. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, uh, but this is a very long Rashi, and it's uh, it's a Rashi that centers on grammar, and I'm kind of allergic to grammar because I just never understood it, especially Hebrew grammar. Um, but the Rebbe looks into this Rashi and teaches something mechidik. So we're going to go through the Rashi first. So first of all, Rashi says, in case you're puzzling this word and you don't know what this word means, the word is a cognate, it's a verbal form of justice. And similarly, any word whose root begins with, the edaman begins with a tzadik, and it comes to, to, it's a cognate of a reflexive or passive reflexive form. So it takes a test. You put a test into the word. You insert a test instead of a tough. And furthermore, and you don't insert the test where you might have inserted the tough before the root, before the shayrish, before the edaman, but you insert it in middle of the words of the edaman. Kigoin, like exhibit A in our pasuk, nitzadak. The word nitzadak, migizras tzedek, it's derived from the word tzedek. And then, 
Rashi gives us other examples. Yitzdaba migizras saba. And he goes on and on to give examples. And then he says, um, look a few lines later, Viteva shetchilasa samach oi sin. But in a letter where the first, I'm sorry, in a word where the first letter of the root of the sherish of the edaman is a samach or a shin, when it is similarly put in his pile form in reflexive or passive reflexive form, the tough is inserted into the words of the root. The locust will be overburdened, which comes from the shayrish migizras savoil. But you see that the tuff is inserted between the samach and the base. And then he gives more examples. And he gives examples with samach. Then he gives examples with shin. And then Rashi's last example is mistailel ba'ami, which comes from shemais. You are still suppressing my people. And Rashi says, mistailel mikizras derech loisalula. That the word mistailel comes from the root of Soilel, which is part of the word Silula. Derech loy Silula, an untrodden path. And those words come from Yermiyahu. Okay. I know. It's a lot. <laughs> so the Rebbe says, we have to understand Aleph. Okay, this this I think has reformed me on on just glossing over Rashi's grammar, because look what the Rebbe does here. Lafia says Rashi, according to what Rashi is doing here, Okay, at the end of Rashi, he brings us examples of roots that begin with samach, then roots that begin with shin. So that last example, the last example, he should have brought it. He should have brought it earlier in all the examples of a Samach, because Samach comes earlier in the Aleph base than Shin, and base. And he should have brought it before he begins introducing the examples with Shin. It's out of order. He does he does Samach, then he goes to Shin, and then he ends off with an example from Samach that is disorganized. Okay, that's one. Beis, Madua Kasavrashi Khan, Shem Humigizras Derech Lois Salula. Why does Rashi here tell us that the word Mistailel is derived? And he uses the word derech loy salula. Instead of delay, why doesn't he do what he does later in Chumash on the words, you are still suppressing my nation, where over there on the word mistoilel, he says, he says, it comes from the root road. Masila means a road. 
why over here does he say it comes from a untrodden path? It's the opposite. A road is a trodden path. And Gimel, and why does Rashi include extra words? He didn't have to use the words derech loy slula. That's two extra words. He could have said migizras slula, derived from the term for untrod for 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 pathway or untrodden pathway. He didn't have to put in the words derech loy because salula itself means an untrodden path. Okay, so to review, three questions. First of all, that very last example is out of place. It's out of order. It seems like an afterthought. It's like you give your children, um, I don't know, a, a very clear shopping list and you say you should shop in this order and then you throw in something that has to be shopped from a different place in the store where they were earlier. It's unorganized. Base. Why does Rashi here seem to be saying that the very same word that appears in Shemais is from an antithetical root? Here, it's an untrodden path, and over there, the root is a road. Presumably a path that a lot of people have walked on and trodden upon, and therefore it becomes a derek, a road. And finally, why use extra words? Okay, so the Rebbe in general, in almost every single Rashi Sicha opines that Rashi is very, very calculated with every single word. And here it seems that loy, derek loy, those two words, derek loy, are seemingly extra tests and the explanation and this is of course on a deeper level the level of allusion of, of what is alluded to hinted to within the words of Rashi so see what the Rebbe did Rebbe elevated Rashi from being a parish on Rashi to being something in which itself you find shot Drash, Remesh, Remesh, and Sait. It's, it's really only the Rebbe who, who, who attributes to Rashi all these strata. So the Rebbe says, What's the difference? Why does Rashi give us a different root for the very same word? It's because you have to zoom out and you have to see the context of the Parshas. They're so very different. Miketz is all about the Kates, the end of the good times, you could say, and the beginning, the preface to Golos Mitzrayim. But in, in Va'era, we're talking about the first few makais, the first few plagues that Hashem brought on the Mitzrim, which is Haskolas Hagula. That's the beginning of the redemption. And specifically based on what our sages taught us, 
in Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Shekvar Rosh Hashanah, Batla Avoida Mevaseni B'Mitzrayim, that already on Rosh Hashanah, six months earlier, the Avoida was already Batla, it was somehow negated. So for sure, when the Makis came, this was already the beginning of the Geula. That's why in Parshas Ve'era, even though the word is about oppression, Barashi over there says that the word Mistailel is derived from Mesila, a road. Although Pare is still oppressing my nation and he doesn't allow them to leave, this is only because Pare is still not recognizing and he doesn't feel that this is already the beginning of the Gola. But in truth, this derives from a road. This is already a paved road to Gaula. This itself, that he's still shmeidreing and he's still draining a cup and he doesn't want to let the Mitzrayim leave. It's only in order that I should be able to show the whole world my strength. And that my name should be told in all of the universe. Hashem says, that's the only reason that Pari is dragging his feet. And that my miracles should increase and promulgate in, in the land of Mitzrayim. In our Parsha, our Parsha is about the beginning of Golos. So now, at the beginning of Golos, we're still in a phase where it appears It indicates when we're still just beginning the Golos, the Golos looms large and it looms real. And it is intimidating, and it is difficult, and it is dangerous, and it is painful. It manifests a derech loisulula, a road that is not trodden upon. The aval pigain, but still in all, kevon shebeis hapirushim berashi migizos derech loisulula migizos mesila hemal teva achas. But since these two antithetical teachings of Rashi are both on the same word in the Torah, Mistailel. We know already, that this is proof, there has to be something that connects them conceptually. And the Rebbe doesn't leave us guessing. Even the untrodden path, the beginning of Golos, is a derech. It's a road. It's a pathway. It is a road that leads to Geula. It's only that at the beginning, it appears to be 
the path not taken, the untrodden path. Because on the on the more superficial level, it appears to be a real golos. But on the deeper level, even the path that appears the untrodden path, the untaken path, the golos is an Indian of mesila, of a road. To the remnant of the nation. It's a mesila ligaula. It is the pathway to Gaula. Lefisha hakavana bahapnimius de Golos Mitraimhi, Yetzias Mitraim umatantaira. Because the whole kavana of Golos Mitraim is Yetzias Mitraim, is Matantaira. The Lachain Hevi Rashi is a dogma mistrelo baami, Shanemra legabi hamaka shal yodan hitzhila hagula canal, viparsha senu. And that's why Rashi brings down. This example. And here in our Parsha, we're still talking about the beginning of the Golos. But he brings it down. Because at the very beginning of Golos is already found the Kavana Hapnimis, the Indian Hagula from Golos. And that's where Rashi puts it in the last thing. Alpihanal, based on the above, move on Gamatam Shekava Rashi as Mikaimashaladugma Mistrelo Bisoif Perushai. That's why he puts it in where seemingly it doesn't seem to belong at the very end. The Fisha Bazemirames, because through this he is he is hinting to us. Shahachisim Bahatachlis Daham Urais. He is hinting that the end and the goal of all of the events that are recounted in Parshish Vayeshev and Miketz that brought to the Golos Mitzrayim, it's already a Mesila. It's already Derech HaMelech. It's already a trodden path. It is found already in the Golos. And it is so with our Golos, with this final Golos. When a person recognizes and feels that the whole Indian of Golos is an external Overlay it's superimposed. On the innermost level, we stand above Golos. We're already in a place of Asid of the future. This itself, our behavior. Our posture in the face of Golos, this itself brings the truth of Golos, which is Gaula, from its shrouded place to a place of revelation. And the true 
and the complete and the final Geula comes through the agency of Mashiach Tzedkenu, and may it be immediately the car of Mamash. And like Lumi Darren, Allah Shalom said, don't give me the philosophy, just give it to me straight. The Taif Hanir Vahanigla, I think that we're all really, really ready to get that version immediately now. And um, before we say, um, to each other. I should have started with that, and I, I neglected um, to mention that our learning, like everything else we're doing now, is in the source of all of those who have been harmed, all of those who have been hurt, all of those who have been hurt psychologically and have returned from their abduction, all of those who are still unfortunately being hurt and being held. And, and every single person that the Ebesh Hashem is on all of us and bring an end to this situation and bring the Yeshua immediately now. And, uh, and now, uh, yeah, it's time for people.